might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the only history podcast that looks at the life and times of history's most celebrated figures and asks, yes, but would you? It's the pod parchment in which we put a hot wax seal on the envelope of our own horniness and mail it directly to the Bacchanalian orgies of yesteryear. I am Aidan McCaffrey, I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine Mather, who's also not a historian. But uh, we are comedians, aren't we? And boy, do we like dick jokes. Dick jokes in history, and smashing them together into one sexy history pie. I think yeah. that's safe to say. Yeah, making them sweet, sweet history babies, and then <laughs> um, leaving them in an orphanage. Yes. Uh, Kath, when you're being intimate with yourself, uh, do you ever think about old conquests, like, say, the Battle of Hastings or Waterloo? Or maybe old flames, like the eternal flame of the grave of JFK or the sun? You know what? I can't say that I have, actually. I usually um, just think of absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> you get off on the inherent meaningless of life. Mm-hmm. What about you? I think about old conquests when I'm pleasuring myself. Usually uh, the fall of Berlin. Mm-hmm. That's the one I usually go for. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just quite rich with imagery. Mm-hmm. Soviet soldiers flooding through Berlin. Mm-hmm. Hitler popping a cyanide down his, down his neck hole. Whew. Just think mm-hmm. of that for a second or two, and I am stiff as a board. So uh, I can see. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because I was just because I said it then and thought about it. I therefore became aroused at the thought of it. It's easy done. Yeah, and but I do sometimes like to think of an old flame as well. Usually the Hindenburg disaster. Uh, that's mm-hmm. an old uh, one of the oldest of flames. I like to think. Um, I'd like to join in, but you've put me on the spot. Uh, it's the end <laughs> of a long day, and I can't think of any uh, historical moments at all. <laughs> Well, I am slightly cheating because I was going through some old stand-up notes and I came across <laughs> this joke about old conquests. Like, oh, I like to think about old conquests when I'm uh, pleasuring myself. And then I just list loads of battles that happened in history. It didn't get much of a laugh when I did it in the stand-up. So I don't really know why I thought it might get a, a better reaction if I said it to you on the podcast. No, no, I think it did. Well done. You proud of yourself. Historical hot or not. It's my dream one day to not have to introduce the format, but I've seen mm-hmm. the pod stats. We do have to introduce the format regularly mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> until a decent number of people start listening to this. Uh, until we're at the dollop levels uh, of listenership, yes, I think we should probably tell people. Absolutely. Historical hot or not, each week Kath and I present someone from history to the other person. Uh, we do an initial superficial assessment by looking at their profile picture on the Fictional historical dating app e-trothed, and then we get into their personality, their life, their great works. And then after that, we then make a final decision, would we have sex with this person? Sort of sounds superficial, but actually there's people we think are hot in history, but we wouldn't ban. Stalin. Young man, literally probably one of the sexiest people alive. Google young Stalin. 
Would we bang him? No, because nothing kills a wide one like a pogrom. We've gone through yeah. this. So Kath's going to tell me someone. I'm going to say whether I would or not, and then we'll get into their life. So that's mm-hmm. the format. I think we're going to get T-shirts uh, with that printed on. Nothing kills a wide <laughs> one like a pogrom. Um. <laughs> I mean, I would love it, but I also think, ah, uh, out of context, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's where it really thrives, isn't it? Out of context. And also, the only people getting annoyed by that are people who are pro-pogrom. And frankly, fuck those people. Fuck them. Mm. Fuck. I've said that. I've always said that, Kath. <laughs> so, if you want to open up your e-trosed app, uh, Ed and McCaffrey, I'm going to send you a, pi- a picture. We put the prof pick, whoever we're talking about, in the show notes, so you can play along. When we're talking about it, you can make your own assessment. So, today's uh, friend, potential suitor, is... Agnes, she is 20 years old, and she is from Skopje. There's a lot of foreign names and place names in this one, which I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to fuck up. Um, (laughs) Skopje is the capital of Macedonia, right? Northern Macedonia. Sure. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I wrote this a long time ago. (laughs) Well, one, I'm excited because I I don't have any clue who this is. We literally just recorded the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer bonus band. And it's very hard when Cass says, this is about Rudolph 90 from the North Pole. Who could it be? Although I would have (laughs) loved it if it was like, Cass was like, so... Rudolph Jones, a famous carpenter from Greenland, I would be like, oh, wow, it's, this, is a, this is a curveball I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah, go on, tell me more. So no idea who this is going to be, and I don't recognise the image. It's a good example of, like, not changing beauty standards. She's really, she is very attractive, like, clearly very mm. attractive. She also has, like, I don't know, shit 1930s hair. <laughs> and yes. it does sort of make you realise just how much of a boner killer a shit haircut could be. But mm-hmm. uh, out of respect for her, I'm looking past that. I think she's presumably got a, a Mediterranean look about her, although it is in a, a sepia photo. She's got dark eyes, dark hair, and the skin isn't like pasty white like us Celtic motherfuckers. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think she's hot. So who is this? Who is this Agnes Kath? Who is this? Well... It will become clear as I go through the story. I think what, uh, so initially what we started doing was we were trying to make it so that each other wouldn't know who who the person was to kind of hide it. But then uh, we made the very good point that if I was looking for a history podcast to listen to, I would want to know who the actual episode was about. So I think the listeners will know from the title of this episode. Uh, but you, you are finding out in real time, Aidan McCaffrey. So shall we begin? The episodes, they used to have the format Tom 60 Canterbury, the kind of format it's in a dating app. But uh, yeah, I, I think that just annoys people who want to know what the episodes are about. I wouldn't listen to it. Um. <laughs> you wouldn't listen to your own podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think we we need we needed to sort that out. Anyway, let us begin. Agnes Bajaciao was born. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't need to say that more than once. Uh, was born <laughs> on the twenty sixth of August, nineteen ten, in Skopje, Macedonia. Her date of birth has been disputed. With twenty seventh of August being recorded as, de- as her date of birth for a long time, but this was actually the date of her christening, uh, which she said was the date that she was born uh, into Christendom or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> she was the youngest of three children. She had an older brother called 
I want to say Laser. I think it's probably Lazar, and a sister called Arga. Why is a sister named after a, a, an old-fashioned cooker? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Laser Pen and Cooking Implement. <laughs> yeah. Her father died when she was eight. At twelve, she strongly felt the call of God, and at eighteen, she joined the Sisters of Loreto, which were an Irish community of nuns who had missions in India. She trained for a few months at Loreto. Oh my God! Abbey. I figured yeah. out. No, it's not Mother Mother Teresa, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, wow, I can't believe I've said a bang with the Teresa mentor. (laughs) Here we go. Is it blasphemous for us to be doing this episode (laughs) about banging a nun? Uh, No, because God isn't real. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot about that. Um. <laughs> Although I do have, because I am from a Catholic family, I do have aunties and uncles who would drop dead if, if I actually what, in the Turin Shroud episode, one of my cousins put Aiden in capital letters and lots of exclamation marks on the video I posted of it online, <laughs> even though it is a well-known medieval forgery. Just the mm. sheer Christ link was enough to ruffle feathers. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and that's what we're all about here at Historical Hot or Not, feather ruffling. <laughs> <laughs> when she was at Loreto Abbey, uh, that's where she learned English. Uh, after moving to Ireland at 18, that was the, she never saw her sister or her mum again. In 1929, she was sent to India, uh, learning Bengali in Darjeeling. She took her initial vows as a nun on the 24th of May. Uh, my sister's birthday, 1931. Hey, Helen. Hey, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> so she took her vows. When she was 20, she gave up her family name and chose to be named after Teresa de Lisieux, the patron saint of missionaries. Another nun in the convent had taken that spelling, so she chose the Spanish spelling instead. Uh, she took her solemn vows on the 14th of May, 1937, taking the title of mother, as was custom. And from 1931 to 1948, she taught at St Mary's High School in Calcutta. Do you think that you'd do well as a teacher, Aidan. It's like a bit too lazy. Mm-hmm. It's the marking all the paper. And I think I just wouldn't give a shit. I'd, I'd just be like, yeah. uh, I don't care if this kid knows the six wives of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. If the kid had literally just put Henry VIII's wives are called Michelangelo, Donatello, Egon Spengler and Peter Venkman, I'd be like, sure, it's close enough. Hey, stop. <laughs> I think you've really got to want to be a teacher, haven't yes. you? And it's undervalued, yeah. and I, I would not want to do it. Good God. And also, if I did it, I'd probably want to teach history because I'm a passionate history person. But I also yeah. know it's probably frowned upon in the teaching community to say, so we've learned all about Joan of Arc. Put your hands up if you'd bang her. And you know what I mean? <laughs> and then like mm-hmm. three or four kids put their hand up and you're like, sorry, Joan. You're not getting onto this biotech that is true <laughs> that we've made in the class uh, with potato prints. Yes. Next week, would we ban Marie Curie? See you <laughs> next week, kids. During her time teaching at St Mary's, she was increasingly disturbed by the poverty that she saw, um, particularly given that this was during the time of the Bengal famine, which killed three million people. A famine that, we must remember, was triggered by cyclone and flooding in 1942, but made much worse by the British, because they redirected grain to British soldiers, because it was the war, and European troops, uh, and blocked imports into India. Thank you, Churchill. You know, just let's just think on that, shall we? On the 10th of September, 1946, Teresa experienced what she later described as the call within the call when she travelled by train to the Loreto convent in Darjeeling from Calcutta for her annual retreat. She said, I was 
to leave the convent and help the poor whilst living amongst them. It was an order. To fail would have been to break the faith. So the call within the call, she's on the phone to her sister, and then her mum calls, and she has to be like, Mum, I'm on the phone. Or maybe she's on the phone to, to a friend, and then God calls. Mm-hmm. And you're like, God, I'm actually on the phone right now. And he's like, I am God. I think you should put the other call down. And you'd be like, listen, pal, if you were all knowing, <laughs> you'd know her on the fucking phone. <laughs> if you really want me to save Indians from poverty, you can just fucking wait 10 minutes until I finish this phone call, all right? Yeah. It's up to you. Do you want to be on hold or do you just want to call back in 10? Yeah, just give me something, Jesus yeah, Christ. Exactly. <laughs> not, not your son, sorry. sorry no, again. no, just... just um, in 1948, she got permission to leave the school and began working amongst some of the poorest slums, starting an open-air school for slum children with no funds depending on divine providence, which I believe is people just giving you money. <laughs> There's a big explanation of what it is, but that is essentially what I got from it. Um, I'm sure somebody will uh, message in to tell me I'm wrong if I am wrong. This is very much the cliff notes of history, people. We're on the clock doing this. <laughs> Yeah, especially as we are trying to rinse Riverside, uh, the podcasting platform for the free version, which means we really have to keep it below two hours. Otherwise, it's going to cost us money. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, we do have um, a, a coffee, uh, KO dash, yeah. <laughs> FI. Yeah, uh, if you want these to be longer, give us some fucking money and we'll make them as long as you want. Yeah. We'll do a 24-hour live broadcast if you give us some money. Yeah, I won't have to write it on the train to Leicester between the day job and uh, doing a gig. So, anyway, troubles that Mother Teresa would never know. (laughs) She doesn't know suffering like us. Well, have you not heard Mother Teresa's podcast, Catholic Saints Hot or Not? It's really good. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, St. Francis of Assisi, I'd love to fuck him. Mm-hmm. Hey, yo. That's how her podcast goes. Yeah, it's out of character, but I enjoy it. You've got to let her let off some steam every now and then. Yeah. She's surrounded by poverty all day. Yeah, I mean, she is dead, Aiden. Don't spoil the ending of the podcast. Oh, yet. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to take you back to the 7th of October, 1950, which is when Mother Teresa received permission from the Holy See to start her order, the, mission, uh, the Missionaries of Charity, with the primary task being to love and care for those persons nobody was prepared to look after. Which is sweet, isn't it? It became an international religious family by a decree of Pope Paul VI in 1965, an order which now has international presence with over 4,500 nuns in 133 countries as of 2012. Oh, they're doing all right. Members take a vow of chastity, poverty and obedience, and their work includes managing homes for those dying with leprosy, HIV and AIDS, uh, and tuberculosis. They've got orphanages, soup kitchens, mobile clinics, schools, you know, all the good stuff. You can't be banging while you're running a soup kitchen. It's not practical. You've made soup before, you've put too much salt in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I've kind of fucked the whole batch now. So you can't have them banging in the kitchen while they're making the soup in a soup kitchen. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you Did, did you ever spunk into soup when you were working in hospitality, Aidan? Moving on, <laughs> moving on swiftly. Yeah, uh, she, she was granted Indian citizenship in 1951. She opened her first home for the dying in 1952, and she set up her first mobile leprosy clinic in 1957. I think that was helping people with leprosy and not um, just giving it to people and moving them around. 
which would be mean, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, just like ripping their arms off the leprosy with arms and tossing them around like, oh, I've got your arm. Yeah. Give me it back, Teresa. I thought you were supposed to be helping me, you bitch. Here's the mobile leprosy clinic. Oh, great, I'll come in. Great, now we're driving 200 miles that way. No! <laughs> I don't know anyone there. I thought it was a mobile library. You thought one. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It doesn't matter whether it was a mobile library, a mobile leprosy clinic, or just a mobile sexual health clinic. Mm-hmm. Do they have mobile sexual health clinics? That's quite a good idea. I reckon they must do. And that's definitely their horn. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> as long as they have a distinct horn, because you don't want to like hear the ringing and think, ooh, ice cream. Mm-hmm. You're like, nope, it's just a clap run again. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, the clap van. There's that in, the, in Soho, there's a sexual health clinic that looks like a pizza restaurant, isn't there? Have you seen that? That must have disappointed so many hungry office workers. <laughs> yeah, just wandering in and someone uh, puts a puts a cotton bud up your <laughs> and you're like, no! <laughs> oh. I thought you said you sold fungi pizzas. <laughs> no, we deal with fungal infections. Oh, damn it. Right, back onto Mother Terry. She converted an abandoned Hindu temple into the Kaligat home for the dying. Free for the poor, where people could get medical attention and die of dignity according to their faith. A beautiful death, Teresa said, is for people who lived like animals to die like angels, loved and wanted. Beautiful. Yeah. In 1955, she opened Namala Shishu Bhavan, the children's home of the Immaculate Heart, an orphanage to take in the increasing numbers of homeless children that were coming to her for help. Also, this is pretty cool. In 1982, we're jumping forward a little bit here, she rescued 37 children trapped in a frontline hospital during the siege of Beirut by brokering a temporary ceasefire between the Israeli army and the Palestinian guerrillas, travelling through the war zone with the Red Cross workers to collect the children. She also travelled to assist the hungry in Ethiopia, radiation victims at Chernobyl and earthquake victims in Armenia. Whoa, brokering peace. Mm. Imagine that. You're waiting for some diplomatic head of state to appear and some shriveled old nun shows up. <laughs> it's like waving a white flag. Come on, let's sort this yeah, out. Yeah, like... <laughs> What's that? Oh, it's the clap van again. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's not. It's Mother Teresa. What's she doing here? <laughs> I come in peace. Oh, God, the image of Mother Teresa and that stupid thing, a lot bell going <laughs> She always announces herself like that. So, in all of this, would you find it hot having someone who's managed to, like, travel across war zones? To Would the danger be sexy to you? From an emotional security point, it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. In the same way that, like, the partners of soldiers always have to worry about that. Like, they go to war, maybe they won't come back. Mm-hmm. So that's not the most attractive, but you've got to admire the bravery. And bravery in itself is hot, isn't it? Yeah, you know what I mean? absolutely. It's something I would never do, because <laughs> mm. I'm a natural coward. But I'm also not above <laughs> being attracted to people who have qualities I don't have, uh, like bravery and fortitude. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it is hot. Yeah, she would be the one in your house to go downstairs with a hammer if you heard a noise in the night. Mother Teresa. <laughs> I'm scared that I think someone's broken in through the kitchen window. Yeah. Can you just go down and do some of that Beirut shit that you did in Beirut? <laughs> I've got a lovely image of you cowering behind Mother Teresa with a hammer <laughs> as you go down the stairs yeah, in exactly. the dark now. <laughs> so, I mean, all of this is very positive, right? It, she sounds great, doesn't she? Well, Kath, I think I know where you're going with this. Uh-huh. 
There's a little guy called Christopher Hitchens about to be mentioned. Quite possibly. We come to the heading, the heading marked Criticisms and Controversies. Mother Teresa, while she did help people in poverty, she had no interest in helping anyone out of poverty. And she used people's suffering as a way to convert people to Catholicism, with the hospices not providing adequate pain relief to those with terminal illnesses. Um, in fact, her hospices didn't provide much in the way of medical care at all. Uh, and in the documentary Hell's Angel, which you can watch on YouTube, there's footage inside the hospitals in which people lay on cots in large rooms, just dying with no privacy, no dignity that they claimed to be providing because she believed that people should suffer in death like Christ did. <laughs> I knew this. And yeah, it's it's not good, is it? No. Because I grew up Catholic. I she was genuinely venerated mm. so heavily in Catholic culture. I mean, yeah. we, we know this, obviously. This is like an obvious thing to say. But I mean, like, it would not be unusual for me to say go to my grandma's house or a, a, a pious uncle's house. And for there to just be an image of Mother Teresa on the wall like it was like their sister or something. Yeah. <laughs> like that was one of their family. People absolutely loved her. Yeah. And it makes me wonder how, you know how we've always known who Donald Trump was, even before he became the the bad the racist politician Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. We always just knew him as a businessman, and I always just assumed that was because, oh, he's successful, therefore he has a profile. It's only since that it's come to the fore. Like, no, no, he was his own PR person. Yeah, millionaires in the eighties. They're not all famous. Why is Donald Trump famous? And it's because, well, he engineered a PR campaign to make himself the face of wealth. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I sometimes wonder this with Mother Teresa. Like, she had all these negative aspects. Like, she believed that. You know, people should suffer. She believed that poverty was pure, if I'm not mistaken. She did, yeah. So therefore, where did where did the image of her as this great thing come from? Is that a PR campaign on her part? Is it a PR campaign on the Catholic Church's part? Is it just like she's a character and therefore is a, an easy thing to sell newspapers on? Like, oh, look at Mother Teresa, this nun that's like saving the world in the Middle East. That's a story in itself. And then she becomes venerated. I don't know. I'm just curious about it. Because as I say, the Trump example makes me think no one just becomes famous without having that kind of promotional machine behind it. But then, it's it's just a lovely tale, isn't it? I guess the the lovely nun giving up everything to help people in poverty. And if you don't look at it too closely, oh, that's nice. That's increasingly how I'm choosing to live my life, Kath. Mm. As you get older and you realise you can do nothing to stop the horrors of the world, you you very much start to get into a do you know what? I'm just going to switch off those Guardian news alerts <laughs> yeah. uh, cause, uh, and go and watch a film. Yep. That's how I'm, what I'm going to do. What's the point in me knowing if I can't do anything about it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly, offers of medicines and medical equipment were denied at these, these homes of the dying. And patients who had got treatable illnesses were left to die from them, sometimes in unsanitary conditions. Um, it, her home for the sick had a mortality rate of 40%. But, yeah, she didn't seem troubled by that because she said there is something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot to suffer it like Christ's passion. The world gains much from their suffering. If Jacob Rees-Mogg said that, there's something glorious about seeing the poor accept their suffering. That It would make more sense than coming out of the mouth of a supposedly loving nun. Yeah. Which goes against the very nature of what a hospital is. You know, you're there <laughs> suffering and it's like, can I have some morphine? No. Uh, can I have some anodine extra? No, you can't have that either. Uh, can I have anything? No, 
you will suffer like Christ did. If she wants them to suffer like Christ did, nail them to a tree with some six-inch nails. Have the courage of your conviction, Teresa. Don't just let them, like, fucking slowly die of dysentery because you've wildly misinterpreted the word of God. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's with dignity, though. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I forgot that slowly shitting your guts. <laughs> that That's a dignified death in her. Yeah, shit yourself to death in a communal bedroom on the floor yeah. with dignity and poise. Uh, that's how I'm planning on going out. A noted humanitarian called Henley Gonzalez, who briefly worked at one of Mother Teresa's hospitals, and he said... Volunteers with little or no training carried out dangerous work on patients with highly contagious cases of tuberculosis and other life-threatening illnesses. The individuals who operated the charity refused to accept and implement medical equipment and machinery that would have safely automated processes and saved lives. The New York Times concluded... When reviewing the documentary Hell's Angel, she was less interested in helping the poor than in using them as an indefatigable source of wretchedness on which to fuel the expansion of her fundamentalist Roman Catholic beliefs. Wow. Yeah. Indefatigable wretchedness. Let me Dickensian. <laughs> Very, yeah. <laughs> Mother Teresa must have read Oliver Twist and all those novels damning. Victorian child poverty. She probably thought they were like joyous romps, like, <laughs> look at all these kids. Just having an absolute blast being pure because they're poor and are suffering. This is just the the happiest book ever. <laughs> what do you reckon would have to happen for you to uh, take a, a vow of chastity and poverty? I have genuinely look, you know, looked at um, like monks. Like you know, you see Tibetan monks. I do sometimes think. Because we live very, like, cluttered, mentally very cluttered lives. Mm. We've got so much on, there's so many feeds, whether it's, like, media feeds or television feeds or Twitter feeds or Instagram feeds. And you, you're constantly being bombarded with opinions, aren't you? Yeah. And you can't, and sometimes it can be hard to make sense of, it, of what's right and wrong, what anything means. Sometimes in those moments I genuinely think, maybe I could be a Tibetan <laughs> just, like, freeing my mind of this stuff. But mm-hmm. I then also know that, like, by day three, I'd be absolutely gagging for a wank. Yeah. I can't go, I can't go particularly long. Mm-hmm. So they go around in those orange gowns, don't they? Mm-hmm. I'd be just walking around with a very, very visible erection <laughs> saying, I don't think I'm cut out for this monk life. I like the debating in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. I like going to bed with a mindfulness app and uh, mm-hmm. being at one with myself. But I am backed up like a washing machine right now and I have to go. <laughs> and I have to be at one with myself, so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm at one with myself mentally, but I need to be at one with myself physically. <laughs> it has to happen right now. <laughs> the poverty would be the one for me. I just... I like my things. I like, I like my mattress. I like my central heating. <laughs> you can still have a mattress, calf, but it just has to be a piss-sodden mattress <laughs> with rats living inside it underneath uh, uh, a railway bridge. Not moving back into my first London rental. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm doing better now. I'm a professional. I've genuinely got water leaking through three of my four bedroom walls as well at the moment. And do you know what, right? This is... So they got a roofer to come out and have a look at it. They said... Oh, sorry, we can't get up there today because we don't have a ladder long enough. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Apparently he only does fucking bungalows. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do 
do you live in Rapunzel's Tower or something? And it's like, no, we're not getting up there, love. No, it's just a normal-sized house. <laughs> so, you know, move to London. Uh, it, it's fun. <laughs> Shall we talk about some other terrible things Mother Teresa's done? Yes, please. All right, so Teresa was very against divorce. Um, I always think it's best to take advice on divorce from someone who has never held uh, a hand. Let alone given a hand job. Exactly. Let alone had to live in a house with someone whose pants you're constantly picking up. <laughs> but anyway, she was very against it. She said in a letter to the Irish people when they were voting on the legalisation of divorce in 1995, Jesus on the cross had to give until it hurt because that is what it took for him to love us and save us. If a father and a mother are not willing to give until it hurts to be faithful to each other and to their children, they are not showing their children what it means to love. Let us remember that divorce is not only wrong for Catholics, it is wrong for everyone, because it is against love for a man and a woman to enter a kind of marriage in which they promise to be faithful only until divorce does them part. I'm sorry, but like I, I get really pissed off at this like Catholic, well, Christ had some nails put in his wrist, so therefore no one should ever be happy ever again or even attempt it. Yeah. And if you're stuck in a loveless marriage, just you bloody think about Christ on that cross. There are so many reasons why a marriage might break down. And you're... You, by showing the children what it means to love, you're saying, just put up with whatever shit because you made a promise when you were 17 or 18. Yeah. Whatever he does now, you've just got to deal with. That's what love is. All right, good night, darling. Yeah. <laughs> She's also against abortion. What? No, what? Shock twist. Uh -huh. she... I'd love it if she was for that. If she was yeah. like, oh, no, no, murdering babies is fine. Yeah, no, no. Uh, but, uh... Your body, your choice. But um... yeah. <laughs> so Do you want to hear her views on abortion? I mean, I could probably predict them. It's probably just going to be like, Christ died on the cross and had suffered a great deal and didn't even have any paracetamol to help make the pain go away. Mm. So therefore, people should have babies, even if they were putting them against their will. It'll be some nonsense like that. Yeah, um, worse, actually, than that. She said, Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its peoples to love, but to use violence to get what they want. That is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. In reference to Bosnian women who have been raped by Serbs, she said, I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion, because it is a direct war, a direct killing direct murder by the mother herself. So it's not even that she's like, oh, I accept it wasn't the best circumstances in which it was conceived. However, she's literally saying to kill the baby would be worse than the crime committed against the mother in the first place in the genocidal way. Either way, I don't think the abortions are the assholes in this situation. No, absolutely not. Um, I think Mother Teresa is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Again, it does feel strange for somebody who has decided to entirely remove themselves from uh, love, marriage, children, all of that, to be given such extreme advice on it. People with children should read to them more, but <laughs> I have never had to... Read a book. Yeah, I don't know how to read. Um, <laughs> no, like, I, I've never had to try and do the washing with three children running around. You're going to just put the telly on, aren't you? Like, who the fuck am I to tell people how to raise their kids? It's hard work and I've never had to do it. So I just shut the fuck up. 
it's like how the Republican Party is a dominant male party and they're the ones pushing um, for abortion restrictions. Yeah. I'm sure if Republican senators all had fetuses gestating to increasingly larger size in their testicles uh, over the course of nine months, they'd have a slightly different opinion on whether it was okay to terminate that at an early stage of the development. Yeah, I think so too. And also, it costs like quarter of a million to have a baby or something in America, doesn't it? It's insane. What are they using? Are they using gold forceps or something? No, no. So there was a woman uh, who had shared it online. She was billed for skin-to-skin contact. So, like, putting the baby... between her and her child? Yeah, yeah. Putting the baby on your chest, (laughs) that'll be £100 blues. (laughs) Yeah, just anything that they can, they, they absolutely will. Uh, it's it's disgusting. Oh, I believe you breathe some of the uh, hospital air, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the breastfeeding happened on our property, so mm-hmm. uh, there is a two grand surcharge on that. Yeah, it's technically a uh, it's technically a drink you've consumed on our premises. Yeah, I might have actually got that figure a little bit high. Fact check alerts. Just looked into this. We did slightly overshoot the cost of giving birth in America. According to Bloomberg, a study by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that the average cost of childbirth in 2022 is about £18,000. However, I did look into this. It is true that people get charged for skin-to-skin contact with their children, which uh, is ridiculous. Come to England. We have free healthcare. None of the Tories continue to have their wicked way with it. Am I right? That's the sound of the satire siren. Back to the episode. Uh, do you want to know what she thinks about contraception? She'll say, well, Christ wasn't wearing a Johnny on the cross, so therefore... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you should not wear one and suffer suffer the same. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, no, actually, she believes in, she believes in suffering. So maybe she's like, there's too much pleasure involved in sex, <laughs> so you should never go in bareback. Mm-hmm. Always slap one on. That would be amazing, wouldn't it, to just go around all of the Catholic churches slipping a Johnny onto any uh, Christ <laughs> with his knob out. Using her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was against contraception. <laughs> she, was, she was against it. She believed that natural family planning would suffice and would only endorse abstinence-based contraceptive education. All of these things are issues that leave women trapped in poverty and unable to lift themselves out of it via education or employment. Do you know what really, do you know what really fucks me off about any kind of Catholic piety on sex and stuff? There is anti-gay stuff in the Bible, but then there's so much shit they ignore. There's that amazing bit in the West Wing where the president does that speech about how it says in the Bible that you can't touch pigskin on a Sunday, so should they lock up uh, NFL teams for, for, <laughs> for touching the ball? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you're not supposed to sow different kinds of material together. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to plant different plants side by side. But no one gives a shit about that. It's always just the social stuff. It's always just the gay marriage. It's always the abortion. It's always the people having a better sex life than you. And it's mm-hmm. just so empty isn't it like i actually think i almost would have respect if some christian showed up in double denim <laughs> and were like i'll tell you what my sunflowers are planted nowhere near uh, my roses because i've done the bible right down to the t if they want to hate gays i think i'll allow it because they've got the courage of their convictions but it's never the case is it no they never give a shit about all the other weird shit in the bible yeah always rabidly capitalist <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Saying what Jesus would have wanted. It's like, well, not what you're doing, sunshine. So, you know. Yeah, pro life, except for criminals who, like, they're quite happy to be 
executed for crimes that they may or may not have even committed. Mm -hmm. But that's by the by. One of the questions is, where did all the money go? Because one of the volunteers stated that even when bread was over at the soup kitchens, none was bought unless it was donated. On another occasion, Mother Teresa ran up an $800 tab at a grocery store, refusing to get out of line until somebody else paid for it, which (laughs) I've done in Topshop. (laughs) (laughs) Is that why you've got that snazzy stripy top cap? I refuse to leave unless someone buys this (laughs) fetching top that goes with my hair, please. My sister did buy me this top, actually. Hi, Helen. Hi, Helen. (laughs) Well, we've been quite nice to your sister this episode. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She bought me this top while she was uh, noshing off eight dudes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she got the top for free. They all worked in a uh, top top <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one really knows what happened to the to the money, but it's just not there. Certainly didn't go into helping people out of poverty, which is curious. Where's the money? Where's the money? <laughs> um, to quote John Mulaney in his wonderful. I love John Mulaney, he's brilliant. Oh, he's so good. I've got a ticket to go and see him in January and I could not be more excited. (laughs) I'm so jealous for this reason. Yeah. You know his life fell apart. Yeah, pretty bad, right? My favourite kind of Edinburgh or comedy live show is one where it's about how they're quite fucked up emotionally. And it is very funny, but it's also just about their emotional darkness. Mm -hmm. Now, Mulaney's whole persona up until his life fell apart was like, he's got this like 1950s radio voice like, hey, I'm John Mulaney, but he's telling you about his life and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's quite pleasant. It's fairly innocuous. When his life fell apart, I genuinely thought, oh, his next show's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) As it's about how he re-pieced his life together after losing his wife and suffering alcoholism. I should take no glee in this. But it's going to lead to exactly the kind of like emotionally dark stand-up show that I absolutely love. Yeah. So sorry, your life fell apart, John. But I know your next show is going to be gold as always. Oh, God, yeah, he's such a good joke writer, isn't he? I booked those tickets on company time. I was uh, <laughs> sat there at uh, fifty-nine minutes to 10 waiting for them to go on the sale this is why there's a waiting list on the nhs <laughs> because kath just spends her days in concert queues trying to uh, get live tickets yeah to sell them on for profit <laughs> i don't care if mr smith needs a new hip live nation are releasing tickets for the new Mulaney show yeah i want to watch taylor swift so you know just <laughs> deal with it i guess historical hot or not final paragraph and then we'll be on to the big question but Mother Teresa. In 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. In 1983, she had a heart attack. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I laughed there. Um, <laughs> Lol. <laughs> well, no, because when I was reading it, I assumed, because she's got loads of awards and shit, I just picked the Nobel Peace Prize, to because it's, it's a big one, isn't it, that? And I assumed that I was going to list more <laughs> of her awards and instead just got to, and had a heart attack. The Peace Prize, you shouldn't be taking seriously. I mean, Henry Kissinger got one. Yeah. And when he got one, <laughs> some satirist of the time said, if Henry Kissinger has a Nobel Peace Prize, satire is dead. Yeah. Also, Barack Obama got one at a point when he was a war president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even said it he even acknowledged it in his speech it's actually one of his best speeches because it's not like god aren't i brilliant for getting this it was about the reality of real politic and and, and mm. this guy's literally in charge of an army that's at war in two countries <laughs> and uh, you're going doing a great job with the peace there barrack keep it up i'm only assuming that Teresa, maybe she got the um peace prize on spurious grounds as well possibly by the standards of the peace prize she could have probably could have been emptying shell after shell <laughs> out of an AK-47, and the Nobel Peace Prize were like, Theresa, over here, we've got something for you. 
I mean, there has been some beautiful imagery, hasn't there, in this podcast? And I think that's one of them. <laughs> we just recorded the Rudolph episode where we were joking about him having a Scarface-style Coke empire mm-hmm. in the, the off-festive periods. But I think we've really topped it in this episode <laughs> with uh, everything from Mother Teresa with a machine gun to your sister noshing off employees of clothing chains. Mm-hmm. Mother Teresa just emptying an AK into a school. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if the school was full of poor people, she probably would, because she'd be like, enjoy your suffering like Christ, you poor bastards. Yeah, she'd only shoot them in the kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> the kneecap or the gut. Yeah. This is where it hurts the most, like it did for Christ. Yeah, I'm going to shoot you in the gooch and then give you absolutely no <laughs> medical aid for two weeks until you die of an infection. Because <laughs> that way you can't enjoy sexual pleasure either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a real great guy. Did, did, did I tell you that? Um, <laughs> so she had a heart attack in Rome while she was visiting Pope John Paul II, and then she had a second one uh, six years later in 1989. Interestingly, she was quite happy to have the medical intervention that she denied to others and had a pacemaker fitted. Not willing to suffer like Christ in her own moment of pain, is she like? Yeah. In 91, she got pneumonia in Mexico. And then in August 96, she got malaria and heart failure. She had heart surgery and a cheeky little exorcism by a priest in case she was under attack by the devil. I like the idea of an an insurance exorcism. (laughs) Don't suppose you could say 12 Hail Marys and a sign of the cross, because... just in case I've got Beelzebub in me. Yeah. I'd rather just deal with that preemptively rather than retroactively. Exactly. The last thing I want is my head to spin around than vomit on a priest. <laughs> she wasn't under, under attack by the devil. She was under attack by old age. She died on the 5th of September, 1997, aged 87. I like the idea of her going, but all these organs that are failing, the devil's inside me, isn't it? No, you're an octogenarian. Your body's dying. (laughs) You've lived in poverty for 87 years. (laughs) Yeah, surrounded by death and disease, which you appear to have cultivated. Yeah. Sources for this episode include uh, nobelprize.org, allthatsinteresting.com, and uh, the documentary Hell's Angel by Christopher Hitchens. Do you know what the book was called that he wrote about her? No. The book was called The Missionary Position. The... I like that. So, knowing what we know now, I guess the big question, Aidan McCaffrey, would you fuck Mother Teresa? Uh, I would, but I'd wear a Johnny so she'd feel absolutely no pleasure whatsoever. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I mean, no. She sounds like an awful person. And yeah. it's especially annoying that she managed to achieve such a degree of veneration. As I was saying earlier, with Catholics, no one commits. No one does the plant thing. No one commits to double denim because you're not supposed to wear two different kinds of cloth. Mm-hmm. It's the same with her, keeping everyone in poverty, but the moment she's in pain, no, let's get some expensive medical treatment on that shit ASAP. She's pretty horrible. I don't like her. Usually I say, sorry, I'm not going to bang you, because sometimes I am sorry. Mm. Julia Capula, I'm sure, is a lovely person, but I don't want to bang mafioso uh, kin. You know no, what I mean, she didn't deserve me, Mother Teresa. <laughs> she don't deserve my D. <laughs> you ain't ready for this jelly. Yeah, that is fair enough. I assume you wouldn't either. No. Yeah, it was a shame because that first image you showed of her, I was surprisingly attractive in her youth. Mm, she was, yeah. Meddling, I think, is the, the issue that I've got with it. It's very involved with other people where she doesn't need to be, and I don't like that. It almost feels like if she'd done nothing, things would have been better. <laughs> mm, for some people, yeah. A bit like how there's a the theory about Raiders of the Lost Ark. If he'd have done nothing, the Nazis still would have lost. <laughs> yeah. So Indiana Jones has no effect on the outcome. 
In fact, the only effect he does have is that he seems to lead them directly to the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> Same with Mother Teresa. If you just done nothing, if you just stayed in sculpture, the world would probably be a better place. Yeah. Well, there we have it. It's a no to Mother Teresa. She will not be on the Bayo Tapestry. Uh, join us next time when we discuss some other people um, that we may or may not bang. So far, no one's on the Bayo Tapestry mm, uh, in season two. So. There's a lot of space on there that needs filling. There is. We have merch. Uh, you can have a look at our little condoms. <laughs> what regular size condoms? Not not little ones. <laughs> I was going to say, if you've got a small dick, then you've come to the right place. Hot Not Pod is our name across all social media platforms. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Kofi. Spread your legs, spread the word, baby. Follow us, like us, share our videos that we post to your stories. That's a great way to get eyeballs on the old videos. Retweet us. Tell your friends about the podcast. And also, keeping on Instagram, we just recorded our first Instagram live. We did a bonus bang, uh, the Rudolph episode. We actually broadcast live as, a, as an Instagram thing. So we think that went well. So I think we might do more of that. That, yeah. seems, that seems quite fun. It was very fun. I had a wonderful time. Yeah, we just, we just like coming in your ears. Especially your sister Helen's ears. Those are the ears we like coming in the hardest. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. As we always say here at Hot Not Pod, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's on the of inside the of the coffin that, that counts. <laughs> Smashed it, no nuts. You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not with me, Catherine Mather, and Aidan McCaffrey. Theme song by David Eagle, and our logo is by Richard Todd. You can head over to core b.com forward slash hot not pod over there we've got some hot not merch we are currently selling branded condoms and branded badges get over there while stocks last